Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Hey, Greenhouse. It's, um, it's, re- it's really good to be with you today. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. Um, my name's Tim, uh, Tim Pierce. Uh, I'm a friend of, of Benj and, and Mel's from, from down in Melbourne, from Crossway Baptist Church, um, living in a, a different space, but in this crazy, crazy uh, world in which we live. I, I really do hope that you're doing okay. Um, Benj asked me to, uh, to share a few words uh, today and uh, about w- what it means to be and bring good news to people, what it means to share a faith, what it means to uh, uh, have conversations with people and, and maybe help them discover who Jesus is uh, for themselves and uh, uh, I actually really love talking about this because by nature um, I, I'm an introvert and I'm not a natural born evangelist and I'm not a natural born social activist uh, but, but, but and, and for the longest time I, I thought that was like the evil trifecta of sucking at evangelism and yet one of the most beautiful uh, discoveries that I've made and that uh, my wife has made and, and friends of mine have made and people all, who are all a part of the Crossway community have have, have made over these these last oh, decade or so is that um, is that no one's disqualified, no one's excluded from this journey of being and bringing good news to people. And so I want to actually talk to you a little bit about that. And I want to look at a passage that, that for me, probably more than any other passage in the whole of the Bible, has helped me uh, break free from some of maybe some of the myths or the stereotypes of what it means to to share my faith, what it means for me to steward the gospel. And so, if you have a Bible with you, I'd love you to grab it, and I'd love you to turn to Luke chapter ten. It's probably a, a passage of scripture that's really familiar to. It's the it's it's this moment where Jesus trains seventy two of his followers um, and, and sends them out. And contained in what Jesus says here is stuff that is so revolutionary and so relevant to these guys, but if we are going to, ta- if we can take it seriously, you and, and me, and I appreciate I'm a long way from uh, the Central Coast, but if we can take it seriously in Melbourne and New South Wales, and Victoria, in Australia, what Jesus says here is equally revolutionary and equally relevant. So Luke chapter ten, uh, it, it says this: um, After this, the Lord appointed uh, seventy-two others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. What Jesus does here is is he pulls together the 72. I find it fascinating. This is not the training because this is key stuff that Jesus is training. And he does do it at various points. But when Luke zeroes in on his training, he's doing it with the 72. And I think in doing this, Luke, who's writing this biographical account of Jesus' life, He's exploding the myth that there's like an A team and a B team. Uh, the 72, they were just the wider community. They were, they were people like Barnabas. They were people like uh, Philip. They were f- people like Stephen, who figure really prominently in the book of Acts. But they weren't part of the 12. They were, they were part of this wider group of men and women who were uh, people who Jesus invested in. And they weren't the reserve bench. They weren't, <laughs> in the language of AFL, uh, they weren't the uh, medical substitutes. They weren't lesser followers of Jesus. They were key people. They just weren't part of the 12. And what Jesus does is he stops here in these moments and he pulls together this wider group of 72 
people. And he says something really important to them. I'm sending you out to every town and place. He says to them, and it's not rocket science, but it's important for us to, for us to um, uh, grab a hold of what Jesus is saying here. He says, go to the communities, go to the workplaces, go to the streets and the neighborhoods, go to the extended families, go to the local shops, go to the places where people find identity and meaning and purpose where they find community and connection. Go there and, 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 and look for people who God's already at work with, which is where Jesus is heading, this key principle, find the people of peace. But we'll get to that in a second. The rest of verse 2 says this, And Jesus told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I don't know what you make of a statement like that. I've heard that a bunch of times in church. And usually on the outside, I go, yes, amen. And on the inside, I go, no. Like, what alternative reality are you living in, Jesus? Like, I don't know if you've been to Melbourne or I live in the suburb called Vermont South. I mean, oh my goodness. Have you ever been to Vermont South, Jesus? It's like, how could you possibly say that the harvest is plentiful? And it's really important here that what Jesus is giving to his 72 followers here, what he's giving to his, his disciples here, what he's giving to us, is not like some first century alternative reality if you are the Messiah and the Son of God and only applies in that context. He's actually giving us a profoundly important insight. Because he's, as he's talking about this, he's not operating in, a, in, in an alternative reality. They've just come from interacting and journeying through the area of Sam the Samaritans, who were people who a lot of Jewish people back then saw Samaritans as their opponents. They were hostile. They were their adversaries. And Jesus, so Jesus is not talking about like some like uh, some world that's like he doesn't. He's not really in touch with the real world. He's talking about the world where do people do push back, where there is conflict, where sometimes things don't always go our way. And Jesus says in with a full consciousness of, of, of reality and how life really works, he says, if you are going to learn how to be and bring good news to people, if you're going to learn how to share your faith, if you're going to learn how to disciple people towards faith, then you need to understand this mission-critical principle. The harvest is plentiful. I think this is important for us in, 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 in our different cultures, in our, you know, I don't think there's one Australian culture, I think there's many different cultures. But I think it's really important for us to grab a hold of this insight and this principle. Because I think the easiest thing in the world, when we think about how do we steward the gospel, how do we share our faith, how do we, how do we, how do we you know, um, do evangelism, whatever you want to call it, I'm not really fussed about the terminology, but it's the easiest thing in the world when we encounter people who are different, when we encounter people who are maybe multi-faith or no faith, I think it's the easiest thing in the world that, that when we encounter people who maybe tick the box no religion, because, well, you've got to tick a box on the census and, well, maybe that's the most relevant, maybe they tick that box without maybe completely thinking it through. But it's the easiest thing in the world to judge people like that as if they're automatically resistant or closed to spiritual things or that they're automatically resistant or closed to the gospel or to the good news about Jesus. I think there's a whole bunch of people in our world, our friends, our neighbours, people we work with, people we interact with down at the local shops, people that we're getting to know with, our relatives, our, our wider, our wider um, network of, of friends and acquaintances. I think there's a bunch of people who, who are not resistant to the gospel, 
who are not closed to the gospel, who are not shut off and pushing back completely on spiritual things. I just think maybe they don't have language for what they think. I think maybe they don't have clarity about what they think, about about life and about faith and about values and about purpose. I think there's a whole bunch of people who are so preoccupied with life where yet another endless lockdown is weighing them down yet again and there seems no end in sight. They're preoccupied with that. They're worried and anxious with that. And they're not close to good news at all. And what they need from us is not to preach at them, to realise that the harvest is plentiful. And that a lot of people want to actually discover Jesus for themselves because then they can realise that he's maybe not who they were afraid he was. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then verse 2 continues and says this, And Jesus then told them, so the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Listen to this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. And it's this this challenge and this radical change that Jesus calls uh, them to with regards to their praying. Prayer is not part of the work. Prayer is the work. We begin and we end with prayer. We don't just pray only. We start and finish with prayer. But Jesus says, if we're going to pray into this space... Some of us need to radically change the way that we pray because he doesn't say pray, bless me, help me, get, help me get the right words, help me explain the complicated stuff and the apologetic stuff, help me not make a fool of myself. Oh no, what if they ask me something that I don't know? Oh, oh no, Lord, help me. He says, don't pray like that. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to cover the spiritual interest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray for there to be enough workers to cover the spiritual interest. I tell you, that paradigm shift will change the way that you and I are able to be and bring good news to people. It will help frame up this journey where we're called not just to disciple people who know Jesus, we're called to disciple people to faith in Jesus to live by Jesus and become disciple makers themselves. And the key piece of this is that we learn to pray to the Lord of the harvest, not with me-focused prayers, but with prayers fixed with our attention on him, the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest, his commitment, his passion, his compassion is greater for people that you and I know than ours ever will be. The harvest is in good hands. I tell you, over the last year uh, in Melbourne, the endless lockdown and like ambiguity and it felt like everybody's languishing. I tell you, this was one prayer that I was taking really seriously over the course of last year. It feels like church has ended. It feels like, what are we doing? Work, like it's just totally different. And as I was praying to the Lord of the harvest, Lord, Help me play my role in, 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 in people who are looking where you are already at work and where people might be more open. As I started to do that, I, I started connecting a little bit more regularly with my aunt. Her name's Caroline. And it's funny because for most of my life, I've been the, recal- the slightly recalcitrant nephew and she's, been, and she's been the aunt who secretly loves me <laughs> and occasionally tells me. But what's been really interesting is that 
that, that over the course of last year, this, this, this lady who I thought was completely close to the gospel, very capable, high capacity, intellectual, a brilliant person, but I've always thought she was completely close to the gospel. And so I started spending a little bit more predictable time with her. And something started to change in the atmosphere, the environment, the, 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 the way the conversations would turn and would meander and would progress. And as I sat with her, I realised that she's 80-something years old, sharp as a tack, and yet I, for the whole life, thought she was just completely close. And I realised she just wasn't clear. She was clear about a whole lot of stuff, but she wasn't clear about what she thought about faith and purpose. That's been the most wonderful conversation and journey with her. But what helped me was that in my praying, I lent, it was almost like I was going, Lord, help me as I pray to stop thinking that everybody's closed. Well, Jesus continues and says this in verse 3. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So don't take a purse or bags or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And, and the language of lambs and wolves here seems really sinister, but it's, it's the language of both vulnerability. Maybe not everything's going to go your way. But it's also this metaphor uh, for uh, that we need to have uh, take steps of courage if we're going to progress in our lives. There will be moments where we feel vulnerable or fearful or misunderstood. But courage will be required of us. And then Jesus pushes into this fascinating uh, uh, to not do list. He says, don't take a purse, don't take bags, don't take sandals. And I think, again, he's pushing into a really important principle here. That we can't manufacture people's interest in, in, in good news. We can't manufacture people's spiritual journey. We can't control, control the outcomes of, of conversations. But what we can do is make room in our lives. Enough room for God to move. Enough, enough room and enough space in our lives for us to trust Him. To look for where He's already at work. So He sends them out and they're feeling their vulnerability. But what He's really saying is beyond the vulnerability, if we're going to be and bring good news, we need to make room and space for God to move. And we need to make room and space for us to take steps of trust and faith with Jesus. Isn't that, I find that fascinating because I've always felt this pressure my whole Christian life. I've got to, if I'm going to ever like share my faith, I've got to do it better. I've got to learn it better. I've got to be, you know, have this encyclopedic knowledge of six-day creationism and all the, you know, all the good stuff at the tip of my fingers. And oh no, what if somebody asks me something I don't know? But what I've discovered is that's actually not the main thing. The main thing is this. Am I and are you making room for God to move in your life? Are you making enough room for people in your lives? What I've discovered is this. The, one of the keys to making progress in discipling people towards faith, finding people where God's already at work, uh, looking to be and bring good news, is answering this question. How am I making space in my life because if we create space we will find where God is at work and if God is at work ahead of us what we will find is there is opportunity for us to lean in and if we lean into opportunity enough we will get traction with people that's been the discovery of this of this introvert over these years and in my church community with, with literally hundreds of people discovering that simple principle 
continues on and then he says this, and this is so important. So when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace, literally, if there's a person of peace there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. He says, with all of this, praying to the Lord of the harvest, making room in your life. He says, this is the mission critical principle. And this principle, through the rest of the Gospels, this principle all the way through the shifts and the changes and the, 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 the challenges and the crises of the book of Acts, and all the way through the letters of the, uh, of the, um, through the, letters of the New Testament. This principle endures. This principle is key to a movement that knew how to um, be and bring good news to people. It's this, find the person of peace. The best way I can explain that is this, who likes you, who listens to you, and who serves you. These are the people that Jesus, all the way up until this point, he was the people who were, he was looking for. Because those signs, who likes you, listens to you, and serves you, those three simple, accessible um, signs or indications from people are actually often signs and indications that God's already at work. And God is inviting you to join him in, in stewarding the gospel to someone, in, in discipling someone towards faith, to, 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 to interacting with someone to help them discover Jesus for themselves. It's fascinating. Jesus does this. He calls uh, Matthew, the tax collector, and the first thing Matthew does is, is, is throw a party, invite all his friends. He serves Jesus. The first thing that Andrew does when Jesus calls him in John chapter 1 is go and get his brother Peter. The first thing Philip does is go and get his best mate Bartholomew and bring him to Jesus. There was no class. There was no training to do that. There was something that was going on. The Holy Spirit was at work. And, 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 and they didn't even know what was going on. But they lent into Jesus. They were curious. They were hospitable. And in fact, the first interaction between Jesus and, and, and Peter that Luke records for us is Peter inviting Jesus over for a meal. This person of peace principle is mission critical. If we're going to be the be and bring the good news or uh, across um, the Central Coast, across New South Wales, down here uh, in Melbourne and in Victoria, who likes you, who listens to you, and who serves you. I know. Uh, I was born in Britain, and uh, uh, my dad is English. And one of the things that he he raised me to do was. Make sure, Tim, you don't inconvenience people. That's like my British roots. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to inconvenience anybody. That's like my dad's greatest phrase. That and, would you like a cup of tea? So this idea of like, listen, and serve, it's not like fried my brain at various times. But, but really, it, that, that, the old paradigm shattered one day when one of our friends, person of peace, likes, listens, and serves. <laughs> she rings up my wife, my wife Sarah. She says to Sarah on the phone, uh, uh, would it be okay if um if I I know you guys are busy, but would it be okay if I just brought around like two or three meals just to help you out this week? Now, just uh, the friend's name was Meredith, and just so you you understand, she 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 had just had six weeks before she just had her um her seventh child. So like there was a fair amount of stuff going on in Meredith's world. Everything in Sarah and me wanted to go no, no 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 that's fine. But what we've learned is this: let people of peace serve you. Look for the people who like, listen, and serve. Look for the people who are, who are curious, um, who, who are welcoming, who are hospitable. 
and who are, 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 are leaning in to you. That's what Jesus says. And that won't be everybody, and it, but it also won't be nobody. And he says, with these people, when you see these simple, accessible signs that God's already at work, he says this, eat and drink whatever they give you. Which sounds simple, but that's fairly confronting to good Jewish boys and girls, people who'd grown up kosher, people who were living kosher, eat and drink whatever they give you. And they might be Samaritans who you're connecting with. They might give you stuff that's not kosher. Jesus says this, eat and drink whatever they give you. If I can translate that into to like language that might make a little more sense for you and me, eat and drink enough so you relax and get to know they're not projects. Stewarding the gospel is not a transaction. It's us finding where God's already at work and joining him on his journey with people. It's not a hidden agenda. I want people to walk in the full purposes of God and help others do the same. That's, that's not my hidden agenda, but that's 100% my agenda in life. I want people who are doing life tough to flourish. That's my agenda because that is the heartbeat of the Lord of the harvest. That is the heartbeat of our Lord and Savior. When it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds, that his agenda was being stirred. The people doing life tough would flourish. But that also people wouldn't just live for themselves, but they would live for others. And he says with these people, eat and drink, drink uh, enough so you relax and get to know them. You can't disciple anybody if you don't know what makes them tick. And he says this, stay with them. What he really means is this, invest what you have in them. And if you're not a talented maverick evangelist, relax and be yourself. If you're somebody who's naturally curious, be curious. If you're somebody who asks questions that really help people, ask the questions. Don't feel the pressure to be the expert. Don't feel the pressure. Oh, actually, no, you will feel pressure, but don't let the pressure try and turn you into an expert. Use that pressure for good and use it to ask better questions. Use it to, to, to care more deeply for people, to walk alongside people and earn the right to hear their story. Jesus says, stay with them. And then he says this, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. He gives them a really simple thing to do. There's going to be people doing life tough. There's going to be people who, who, whose lives are characterized and wounded by sickness. He says, pray for them. Bring healing to them. But also tell them this, that no matter who you are and what you've done or haven't done, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God, that can mean many things. I've heard a billion sermons, most of which I don't understand. But the kingdom of God, that's all about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of what Jesus is saying here, wherever you go, tell people this, God's will is within your reach. Doesn't mean you're doing God's will, but God's will is within your reach. No one's excluded. No one's disqualified. There's no one for whom that is too late. And what he's really saying is this, be and bring good news with people. You might be sitting going, well, yeah, okay, well, how do I do that? Can I just give you three ways? Not, not formulas or, or, you know, like some flow chart, like you, you know, you're, you're cold calling someone on the phone or something like that. I don't mean it that way. But just simple principles that I think Jesus lived out. 
The first is this, be conspicuously spiritual. Yeah. Jesus lived in such a way, a spiritual life that was both deeply authentic as he related with the Father, but it was also spiritual in such a way that, well, it was obvious to people around him. And it wasn't expected. Though whatever anybody was expecting from the Messiah's, Jesus' spirituality, it was not what he what he was doing. He would do things like pray, pray for people to be sick and they'd be healed. Shock, horror. But even more shocking and horror, horrifying was that he would extend forgiveness to people. And that was freaking people out because religious leaders in Jesus' day, they withheld forgiveness. It was a control thing. But Jesus, no. He'd always extend forgiveness. So be conspicuously spiritual. What I mean by that is this. Be obvious and not annoying. Obvious. for some, And generally what I find is that people need to work on one or the other of those. Obvious because sometimes we're so subtle and sophisticated that Jesus is not quite sure whether we're a Christian or not. So be obvious. Be yourself. Don't try and be someone else. But be yourself authentically, uh, obviously uh, spiritual but also not annoying. In Australia, in, in, in these days, I think there's a whole lot of people who are so annoyed at Christians and annoyed at the church and feel betrayed by the church. They're too busy with that to get offended by the gospel. So it's not go softly, softly, but just be obvious and not annoying. We generally need to work on one or the other. The second is this, so conspicuously spiritual, but also authentically curious. I think curiosity is the greatest quality of a disciple maker. Because you, you, you want to you know what make, makes people tick. You want to know what their values are, not just, not just what, they, what their applications of their values are. You, know, you have conversations and we can so often get caught up with, you know, we don't agree on the application of people's values. What are people's values? What do they stand for? What are their passions? I will regularly, as just, just a way to break through talking about sport, you know, being a white, white middle-aged man, Australian man, I, I can feel just trapped endlessly talking about sport. How can I progress conversations? One simple way I've done is this. I've asked it, asked it a bunch of times on the sidelines as I watch my kids play soccer. It's this simple question. I'll turn to somebody who I'm sort of having a bit of a conversation with, and I'll, I'll ask, say, a dad, and I'll say, can I ask you a question? And usually, yeah. And I go... Like, as a parent, what would you say are two of your greatest strengths? And it's funny because the reaction to that is about 25% awkward and 75% I really want to talk about that. Because no one ever asks questions about that unless it's in a job interview when it's like it's like some sort of trick question. But being authentically curious about people. We're not, we're not, we're not befriending them to evangelise them in some toxic friendship evangelism version of what, what was meant to be intentional and relational. No, no, no. Authentically curious. And the third is this, just being predictably present. Well, that's at various points difficult when you're trapped in your home, in a bubble. But I tell you, being simply predictably present with somebody. Not just random drive-bys or one-offs with people. Unpredictably predictably present. That simple shift can, can, can let people know that you're there for them. Can let people know that you are committed to them. Help people know that you are, they are significant to you. This little shift happened last year. I'm praying to the Lord of the harvest. You know, you know help me. Help me. Not help me. <laughs> I was learning to pray, not help me. But, but Lord... I want to be somebody who's participating in what you're doing, not just trying to call you in so I've got to walk the plank of evangelism. It's really interesting because I was just became, just made a change with my Aunt Caroline being predictably present. And 
she started to change the nature of the conversations, as I was saying before, and she 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 she, she started asking more probing questions back when I would ask questions of her. And the funniest thing, because I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, she's into, she's acting like she likes me. She's not just my aunt now. She's liking listening and, and serving me. She would start offering me a cup of tea every time when I was saying, oh, I probably might head off now. She'd go, would you like a cup of tea? And I suddenly realised it wasn't just British politeness. It was maybe something else. And as we sort of chatted and we talk about family and as I was authentically curious with we curious with her we talk about our family and her father who she'd never spoken about I learned all sorts of things and I'm not trying to find out about that stuff to do a sophisticated segue to Jesus to drop the theological hammer of substitutionary the doctrine of substitutionary atonement on her but I was just I was just just trying to get that sense of well Lord if she's a person of peace that means that you're at work I want to I just want to lean in have a little bit of faith take one step at a time and I'll never forget the morning when I actually said they asked this question. I said, um, I said, Caroline, and this is a, a legit question, like this is a true question. I said, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. I'm asking my British octogenarian aunt this question. I'm just going, because I've asked different people this, but Caroline, she's like my aunt. I've asked her. And I almost fainted and screamed at the same time because she said, love to do that so I'm on this journey with her where she's discovering we read the Bible we we, 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 we read it we, we retell a story in our own words we both look for something that stands out to us and then we both make a commitment to do something with what we've been reading and to share it with somebody else this is me like I'm an introvert not a not a natural born evangelist but just a simple application step by step of exactly what Jesus is talking about this call to not trying to be somebody that we're not or apologize for somebody that we are not just to try and share our faith feeling incompetent and disqualified and out of